Welcome along to the Candy Pants Lifestyle Podcast. I'm Nick, and if you're a fan of podcasts hosted by nervous-sounding Geordies, well, you're in exactly the right place. This week, we roll out the boys who built Couture Club. Ross and Scott started selling t-shirts from their bedroom before going on to build one of the biggest names in UK fashion that's giving the high street heavyweights a run for their money. It's not very often you hear from people who have reached the height that they have talk with the honesty that they do about their business. The boys give us a fascinating look behind the scenes into both the highs and lows of building one of the UK's biggest fashion success stories. Whether you know Ross and Scott already or not, after listening to this podcast, it really is hard not to be both blown away by what they've achieved but also feel like few people deserve it more than they do. As always, a large part of me hopes that no one's listening. But if you are, I know you're going to enjoy this one. It's the story of how they tore up the rule book, turning two boys from Manchester into a fashion force to be reckoned with. This is the journey of the boys who built Couture Club, Ross Wozick and Scott Sashua. Ross, Scott, thank you so, so much. Not for coming on once, but actually coming on twice. Like, <laughs> we won't go into the technical problems, let's just say, we've had with this podcast. Bit embarrassing for me, but, I mean, it was great first time. So, <laughs> fingers crossed, it can only get better. Hopefully, mate, yeah. And um, thanks <laughs> for having us both on as well. Um, I think we really enjoyed it last time, and hopefully we'll get it, we'll get it across the line this time. <laughs> I mean, so, so many people are just genuinely fascinated about how you guys went from essentially like selling T-shirts from your bedroom to now being this kind of online monster with like stores on the high street. I feel there's a thing now where you literally cannot go to a UK airport without seeing someone wearing Couture Club. What's that like (laughs) for you two? Like to see people wearing it or see the bag or... How does that feel? I don't think I've ever been to an airport in the last three years where I've not been fuzzy eyed through through alcohol or a stag do or something like that. <laughs> <mate>. So <laughs> no, it's good, mate. I actually had the, I actually had people come up to me and, and, and say, "Look at that! Look at me! I've got control but I was buzzing, absolutely yeah. on top of the world." Yeah, for me, I I absolutely love it, and and I think what I love more is like when my parents go away, something like that, and they've they've always been like since we started, obviously fans of it and interested and uh, when they see someone and they always send me pictures when they're at the airport I think it's when you know when your parents see it it's, it's even more um, satisfying because it's like they can see obviously the hard work that we're all putting in is obviously paying off um, and for me it's when you see it in that unexpected places like like Trafford Centre we, we see it a lot and if I go in there and within the first 10 minutes I'm not seeing someone with a bag or wearing it I'm I'm panicking a little bit, but it's when you see people in places that you don't expect it at all. Like I've been driving my car before, like when I've had like my girlfriend in the car, and, I, and I've seen someone wearing a t-shirt and a cap, and it might be on like a, a dog walk, or they might be just out and about. And I'm like, look, 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 joke like that. I do it all all the time. It's one of them. It never gets old, and I don't think it ever will do because 
it's it's our baby and and as we'll go into in this podcast like we started like literally from the very bottom with it and probably with one of the lowest budgets that anyone started a clothing brand with really and for it for us to grow and, and build it to this kind of levels you know what i mean it's amazing i think when we both started being 100 percent honest with you it's it's exceeded both what we expected um from the start so um yeah it's really exciting so like before we get into like how you actually built couture club do you want to tell us like both of you just a little bit like what you were actually doing beforehand yeah yeah do you want to go slow i think as i had another podcast last night actually i couldn't have explained it any better so i and the the reason why is because the things i was doing in the past have helped me so much with couture club so believe it or not we were the first um guys to bring in the selfie stick and um we we sort of took it to this event the next day you know everyone was screaming about it at this event and then the next day we bought 100 off ebay that was the friday on the sunday i was on a flight to china and we, we you know we sourced it and you go to this chinese sort of market and there's loads of selfie sticks but then you have to go to another market for the boxes and another market for for the labels so it was um it, it was mad and we learned so much about creating a brand and, and sourcing products following on from that self just called us and said you know we'd really like to stop the product and then it was a catalyst effect and we were pretty much in every uk retailer um you could think of and then at the same time me and ross were working together on uh, nightclub events and we sort of we ran this really successful thursday night on a manchester and ross was doing similar things in marbella and when he was back in the summer we were teaming up together to um to sort of put on like real show stopping events but then from the event scene it was like every single Thursday and you'll know yourself with candy pants instead of you know just being a visa it was a visa by NBA stars or it was a visa by R&B night or a visa by DJ Rusky a special DJ whatever it might have been but when when we've gone into Couture Club we learned so much because the first thing that we said we were never going to do is wholesale the brand because from selfie stick you know the reason why that sort of fell off the edge of a cliff was because we were doing so well with our online business and then as soon as we put it into Selfridges and you know uh, Costco and their marketing spends are through the roof you know we we lost all our sales online where we're actually making the most money so we've had a lot of approaches from like EJDs and foot asylums and and people like that but we just said no because the, the revenue that we can drive online and you know, we don't want a, a retailer to dictate when we go into sale and how much our prices should be. And, you know, you worry that if it doesn't do well in a retailer that they're going to put it at the front of the shop on a, on a huge discount. So we just stay clear of that. And then back to Avisa, having to think of a new concept every single Thursday and think of, a, you know, create content and, 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 and give our, our, our sort of customers a reason to come back to us on a Thursday rather than going to another night on a Friday or a Saturday sort of led the way for, for Couture Club to sort of, again, right at the start, um, just create products and, and release them every single week rather than every month or every two months like the, the bigger brands do. So, you know, every single Thursday, whether it was a T-shirt or a T-shirt and a hoodie, there would be one or two products that were being released. But we, we had an excuse to send a newsletter. We had an excuse to send, you know, a, a huge um, Instagram campaign and, and things like that. So the two learnings that I had from from what I was doing previously with nightclubs and, and selfie stick and really sort of set us up in good shape with, with the show club. And what about you, Ross? Um, we started, obviously, and, and this is how we met as well. Um, 
was was the nightclub scene, and that's probably one of the first things that really kicked it off. Is is all the contacts that we made over the years, um, but then also obviously from doing the nightclub things and being out about quite a lot, I ended up obviously doing a reality TV, which um, I'm sure you know about, and that kind of propelled everything really. And that was partly one of the reasons why we actually started the brand. Like I was, I had filmed a show and I hadn't it. Back then, a lot of shows took like six months before they came on air. So you filmed it. And it's like me and Scott sat down and he was like, you need a business that's already running so that once it goes online, it goes obviously live and you get a few followers and things. You've already got a business generating some money that you can promote and, and you know, really give it a push. So that was kind of um, how we started. And, and Scott at the time was doing a lot of stuff in China, so he was helping with the source and things. And back then, obviously, it's like anything. You have so many problems. Like we... I sent samples off to China and never got them back. And do you know what I mean? I probably sent all my best clothes there when I was, <laughs> you know, when we were younger. And it's like, oh, this is a perfect fit kind of thing when you're first starting out. And um, and it, we ended up getting our first bits of clothing made in, in Nottingham, which is not really even a place in the UK that people get stuff made. Most people get it made in less. But anyway, we found a, a small mill in Nottingham that would, would do the really low quantities that, that we wanted. And we kind of started from there. And it was a case of, could only afford to buy a certain amount. And then once we'd sold half of them, we'd kind of could afford to place another order and obviously top it up and keep going. But yeah, the nightclub um, thing was is definitely where I've obviously gained a lot of experience and contacts and stuff like that through over the years. So yeah, we're both obviously similar backgrounds on that. And for me, it's like yeah, none of second us. wave as well, didn't you? Ross yeah, had his second then, wave on TV and that would just gave us a massive another boost like a year into having the brand. And that, yeah, that really helps. The second time round, it's when the first time round, Instagram and Twitter were kind of even and like you had just as many followers on Instagram as Twitter and it was kind of, you could use both platforms. And then the second time I went on Instagram had started really picking up then. So I gained a lot, a lot more followers and, and it was like the most engaged platform. So it really helped us as a, as a new brand pushing it. And also, not just me being on there, but the fact that every time I do a show and you're on TV with other people, obviously back then no one was getting paid for stuff. So everyone kind of wanted to wear clothes for free and, and promote it because it was cool back then. Whereas now, obviously you see all these ads and everyone promoting stuff just because they're getting paid. Um, do you know what I mean? Which is, which is fair enough. But, but back then it was a lot more genuine. So it wasn't just me. I had everyone that I'd done the shows with and then everyone else that I knew that was in the TV world as well, all promoting for us. And it, it cost us next to nothing. And I will be quite honest. Like, I don't think you could start a business on the budget we had back then now and, and even have a chance of, of creating anywhere near the success just because of how much the, the social media marketing games basically dominated by money now. So um yeah it's a, it's a lot different and obviously because you just then started making you were basically at the start you were just making that like, your own basic t-shirts quite simple what was it that actually made you start that in the first place um right from the start i was that again well i'm probably not touching this but neither of us had had you know official fashion or business experience like none of us had been to unions to the business or fashion or anything like that but since i was younger like, i absolutely love clothes and like, that was my main thing that I've always been interested in since I was a teenager. So when we started, what I was really focusing on right at the very start was it was all about the quality and the fit. Um, and at the time, we thought the quality was amazing. Obviously, looking back at it now, it, it wasn't at all. But um, it was it, that was what we built the brand on. And it was kind of, 
quality fit and it was like affordable luxury so we're using some, some materials that some of the designer brands are using but obviously for a lot of cheaper price point and that's why I suppose we had a lot of success at the start because everything fit well and the, and the quality was good um, and that's what it was and we kind of were stuck in our ways with that we, we didn't want to have anything heavily branded and all we had was a little black label in the bottom left hand corner that had um, the original Control Club logo on like that, was, that was it it was very minimal and it was only until we actually, um, someone was like, you need a logo, you know, like a stamp, a, a, like something yeah. that everyone knows you brand by. And we were figuring out for ages, like we couldn't think of, you know, like how do you, how do you just create a logo? It's not really something that you just create. And then we were messing about and obviously the, the signature kind of just came about. And even then, because it only said Couture, we, we were, weren't sure at the time if it was is that is that strong enough logo like is it going to be right and then we put it on a few t-shirts and it just started started flying so obviously that's where the the logo came from but then we decided to do um, a graphic t-shirt just just one to trial it and back then it was like a case of we got a sample in and then me and scott I'd go and we used to have this black wall in the office that we used to take all our pictures on like if you go on google you can still see them all now it's, it's funny but we used to literally get a t-shirt i'd put it on me and scott would go to this black wall take a picture and, and then we kind of promote that we were going to launch it and we launched one and i think we sold 55 in the first night and, and we were, and it was probably the price point was a little bit higher than what it is now and we were like oh my god we've never had anything sell like this before in our life so that's kind of when we decided or maybe we're actually more than just a like a plain T-shirt brand. Maybe we should actually look into these graphics and different things. And as they were working, it was kind of, we grew up into the stage of like, right, we've, we're starting to have a little bit more money now. Let's start making like what we actually want to wear. You know, like everything. We, like, so we, we, we moved from just your T-shirts and things into like jackets, jeans. We've even tried trainers, sunglasses, hats, caps, like all sorts of different things. So it kind of all stemmed from that first initial trial of just a graphic t-shirt simple picture and then and then here we are so what was it that you saw in because i know that there was a point where you people were sending you stuff for you to wear them because you were quite well known and what was it that you saw in the things they were sending you that thought you know what i can do this a bit better you know what that would that to be fair that's, that's taking it back again to like before it really started like people were sending me things and they'd like, they'd obviously give you the code and different things like that. And then I'd wear it. And it was honestly, the materials, they, were, they weren't right. The fit wasn't right. And it was just, some of it wasn't the best. But at the time, obviously like this was before I'd any job. I mean, I didn't really have any money at all. And I was like, oh, free t-shirt, like I'm all over it. And then I'd, I'd drop and they'd, they'd message me and be like, oh, we sold out of that t-shirt last night. Like amazing, but I'm really happy with it. So I was thinking, if they're selling out of that t-shirt, that's not the best quality, not the best fit, probably not the best design, like something here, you know, like I, I reckon I could sell something like proper, like yeah. if it was really good quality, really nice design, like if, if they're selling out of it, then we can. So that was kind of why we decided to do it. And again, mate, like I, we always have this, um, it's part of obviously like about us and, and the original business thing. It's like, if you can't buy it, make it. And I was so into fashion at the time that there's loads of things that I couldn't buy and I wanted to buy and I wanted to wear. And still to this day, it's very much like that. And um, and that was partly the reason as well. It was like some things that I wanted, but I couldn't get, like the fits weren't right or different things like that. So that was kind of another reason why 
we, we, we started as well. So at this point, kind of, you've started your own t-shirt stuff, still quite basic, and you're kind of bringing on, bringing out your own t-shirts because you, what you think is out there, you think you can do a little bit better. Then Scott has been doing the selfie sticks. You've done nights together. You then come together because you think you can help each other out. What was that like? What was day one like? How did that work when you first started doing things together? To be fair, it was it was kind of more of a transition into doing everything fully together because Scott had his warehouse and everything for the selfie stick and some of his other businesses, and and I had a desk just in the corner. So while he was still doing all the other stuff, I was just working from a desk in the corner. And do you know what I mean? And throughout the day, we'd be coming over about how, how the sales, how's everything going. So we were still both very involved. Then it was kind of just a case of it. It was at the time it was a sideline for Scott, and then. As we started to see traction, it's when we both really came together and like we've got something here. Let's let's focus on it, and we really both put our heads together. And and obviously, on the business side of things, Scott's a lot better than what I am. So that's when it really kind of kicked off, and we, and we knew that we had something that we could we could really scale. Obviously, you then kind of both come together. I know right at the start, you two were doing like everything, like picking, packing in the warehouse together. Like, what was that like? And like, do you miss that a bit now when you've got all these stuff now? It was the best days, wasn't it? Because we, we used to do everything and and it's taught us so much about the business now that, you know, even now we've got 25 staff in head office, we sort of know every single department's job and we know, you know, how to sort of work with them and, and first of all, take on their opinions, but also give good knowledge back. That That's one good thing about having to start right from the bottom and, and sort of cover every department but I think remember the days and we, we were sat in a warehouse and we, we had a, a made up customer service guy called Tim and it would be like oh yeah uh, I just passed you the phone over to Tim and then it'd be me or Ross just pretending to be this guy and, and it was like Wolf of Wall Street do you know what I mean it was just hilarious but it, it was crazy because you know we, we, we learned so much about the business we, we had to design the product we had to send it out we were customer services we were picking we were packing we were um, running our own account so now now we've got like you know 25 people in head office it's quite good because even though we've got brought people in that are a lot more experienced than what we are we still got something to give back so I think it's quite respectable for, from them to sort of have our opinion on how we were doing it and, you know, the lessons that we learned that have, that have been so successful for, for us to get to where we are today. Um, but I'll never, you'll never forget the days when, when we first started and, you know, we were doing 30, 40 orders a day and we were passing the phone to an imaginary customer service guy called Tim and he was like, <laughs> oh, Tim, Tim will just look into your request for you now and then you just pass the phone to Ross. <laughs> um but no, it was it was amazing, and, and, and I never forget. Like there were so many other brands back then, um, and we were like, oh, imagine what it'd be like to do three grand a week, and then it'd be like, oh, imagine you know every, every single month you'd sort of hit a target, and then you'd you'd, you'd supersede it, and it was just crazy. And now we look back, and it's like, do you remember the days when we couldn't wait to do a three grand week, and it's just it's just phenomenal. And other things as well. It's like I mean, I can remember we sat in one of our friends' offices and he had a huge company at the time and he said to us like, listen boys, these are the best days, like make the most of it, you don't have anything to worry about at the moment. And at the time we were like, what's he, what's he talking about? He's making millions of pounds a week. Like, <laughs> these, aren't, these aren't the best days. Like, no way. But realistically, when you look back, like, it was so, it was so fun and so like, just organic. Like, 
like Scott touched on there, like we'd even do photography together. Do you know what I mean? And neither of us have a clue what we're doing. But I think that's what makes it a lot more genuine because we actually have made every mistake. We've kind of just had a goal as two young lads without actually any qualified experience in what we're doing and, and managed to build it up to this stage. And of course, like because it was just us, we had to learn everything. So now I feel like we're a lot more um, advanced. We've got, do you know what I mean? We, we understand every department, like Scott said, and there's, no one can really pull the wool over our eyes when it comes to how long certain things take because we've done it all. So it's, and we're still, to be fair, we're still very, very hands-on. Now that when it gets to Black Friday and our warehouse manager goes mad at us, we still go in ourselves to the warehouse and help out and do, whether it's a, a night shift or whatever it is, we'll we'll go in there and stay overnight and just just get all the orders out just to try and make sure that the customer gets the best possible series where there's not many probably bosses that pay so many people's wages that that still want to do that but we we love it do you know what i mean it's a, it's our baby and and as we've got our biggest asset yeah it's our biggest asset isn't it like we would never ask a member of staff to do anything that we we wouldn't be prepared to do ourselves or have done ourselves so i think that's why you know we've got a hard working team why why, why you know they, we're respected and you know, even now, when we're, you know, we, we've got to go to London and we've got to go to all these different meetings, it's it's never a question of, you know, the office is left and there's there's going to be a bit of a jolly up if we're not there because it's just the work rate and that we've sort of set for the team to sort of follow. It's just, you know, everyone knows the story. Everyone knows that we bought it from the ground up and we've been through struggles and we've had good years and bad years, but um, it's, just, it's just nice. It's like a little family, like a little control called family in the office. I think yeah. I've said this to you two before, haven't I, that, you know, it's similar to, you know, Greg's, kind of the bakers in Newcastle. So they're like obviously a huge company around the UK and their head office is in Newcastle and they have got a bakers in the bottom of the head office, A, so that obviously people can get food and stuff who are on that retail estate. But whoever whoever you are, when you go and get a job at Greg's in head office, whether you are going in as finance director or you're going in as a cleaner or whatever, the, your first two weeks are in that bakery, whether you're making steak bakes or sausage rolls, so that everyone gets that core business. And do you think that because you can do that, that's probably been maybe your biggest advantage, you know? I know that, Ross, you'll sometimes jump in and go, you know what, we need to release a T-shirt, but we've got no photographer, no, like, massive light and stuff but I'll go with my phone we'll do it we'll bang it out and it makes you a bit quicker and you can move things around and adapt a bit more definitely yeah it's I, I absolutely love that Greg story I think that's brilliant like I, I actually even think for staff joining with us it'd be brilliant for them to, to the first week kind of do a day in each different department before they even start their own department yeah it's brilliant um like it's, it's, it's quite an interesting like concept but yeah it's great that but yeah definitely i think for us it's just we've we've had a lot of growth because we've we've reacted we're very fast at reacting we monitor everything very closely so even if like in the past say we had you had a down day what was the reason why 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 didn't you what can we do to make the next day better and rather than some i, I know a lot of people be like oh yeah it's just down this week but for a whole week to be down means that you've done nothing about the first two days or the first day that it was down it's kind of like if it's down, what's the reasons and what can we do to change it? So we're very, very reactive with a lot of things. So was there a point at the start where suddenly you went, hold on, like this actually might have some legs, like some serious legs? I, I think so. It was when I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> do, you know what, um, do you know what it was? We Ross went back on a TV show um, and 
we must have been two years in and our biggest problem was that we never had terms of our suppliers and then I don't know what happened but this supplier gave us 45 day terms um do you want to just explain what that is for somebody who doesn't know yeah so everything usually when we when we set up it was pro forma we pay cash on delivery if not pay the deposit before they'd even start the work um but then you know the bigger companies they get zero uh, percent deposits and then they don't have to pay for the stock till like maybe 30 45 or 60 days after it's arrived yeah so um getting those terms ross was away ross was back on on, on mx uh, on the beach and um we got the we got these terms from this factory that we started working with for about over a year and you know we weren't ever late on payments etc etc so we just pushed them and then you know our orders are like 10 grand because it's all we could sort of really commit to because again like everything was up front so we got 45 day terms and i just ordered whatever i wanted to order basically and i think it was like a ninety thousand pound order loads of tracksuits sierra tracksuit do you remember ross yeah <laughs> sierra tracksuit i know so we brought it out in three different colors loads of t-shirts and then what happened mate was Within two weeks of, of, of the 45 days, we, we had the money to, to pay the factory back. And, and all of a sudden, it just allowed us to grow and grow and grow even quicker because our stock um, package just got, again, just got bigger and bigger. So our SKU base was bigger. We had a lot more products. Uh, we weren't running out of things, you know, on, on launch night. And, and all of a sudden, it just changed everything for us. So, um, yeah, payment terms were, were one of the biggest reasons where we thought, fucking hell, it's got some legs this. Ross, you might have to yeah. go away more often. Yeah, no, I, I do think about it, mate, but you know, it's a bit tough at the moment. But yeah, to be fair, if he, he didn't go away, if he didn't go away, the stock probably would have dried out at some point. So it was a good job he went away and, and sort of, again, got that extra following and all the people that were on the show were wearing it. Ross was on the, even when Ross was away, he was still promoting the brand because he was wearing it every day on the show. So, yeah. Yeah, that was one of the best things. And I can remember being in there and, and, and they take your phones off yourself for, for eight weeks. I didn't have a phone. And then I rang Scott and he was like, it's the first soon as I got out before, <laughs> sounds bad this, but before I rang my mum or anyone like that, I rang Scott and was like, how's everything going? He was like, mate, I've just ordered like nearly 100 grams of stuff. <laughs> I was like, are you joking? I was like, bro, I've been away eight weeks. What are you talking about? You've ordered nearly 100 grams of stuff. And he was like, yeah, it's all right, mate. We sold through most already. I was like, oh my God. I was like, brilliant. Was... So I remember getting back and being buzzing. And we went there and that was a time when we just transitioned from doing everything ourselves to we're using a company for like their office space and access to their team. So we could basically, there was a designer there that I'd like take an hour a day out of or whatever and kind of work with her. And she she designed properly rather than like our kind of scribbles and trying to explain things and then finding a, a graphic designer that could help us. And because they were doing the fulfillment, so they were doing all, sending all the orders out for us, it meant that we could really focus on like promoting it. So we literally used to just sit on a little two-person's desk next to each other in a, in a corner of an office and just come up constantly with marketing ideas every single day. And, um, and then we, we just really started seeing some growth then. And I think that's when everyone all of a sudden kind of started paying attention and really like recognize the brand as like, oh, it's not just a bedroom brand and it is actually going to go somewhere. Was there any like really hard times or things that you've done you've thought, oh my God, like we will not do that again? Loads. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we, we had a really tough, you know, in um, 
2018, we had we'd had the Chaffer Centre for about six months and Chaffer Centre was doing amazing. So we had this massive appetite to continue opening up more stores. Um, and going back to not wholesaling the brand, we've seen a lot of brands having success in, in JD and places like that. So we set up a, a sister brand um, called... Because you got offered to go into JD, didn't you? And you didn't think that was yeah, right? Yeah, we got offered to go in and we just thought, do you know what, If we the minute we go into JD, will the footballers carry on wearing it? And do we lose a bit of coolness and, and stuff like that? So we set up a brand... Um, to do exactly what Kachoka wasn't and, and do wholesale. And then um, in the same year, we opened up a store in Dublin and a store in Newcastle. Um, and we didn't even have a financial person. We had uh, this guy that was advising us two days a week. Um, and, you know, we didn't have cash flow forecasts or anything like that. So we just took on so much um, to the point where, you know, each store was a £100,000 investment. The new brand was a £150,000 investment. And, you know, we, we, even though we were, you know, we, we've seen all the money come in every day, it just caught up with us. So, we again, we thought we were invincible. We were having so much success and we just took on so much. Um, and, and again, you know, the stores did okay for us. Um, they, they weren't what the traffic centre was, but, we, you know, we're Manchester lads, Manchester brand. And it was the, the ideas in the stores are, you know, go and do a store in a, in a city for six months and then drive the traffic back to the online. And it definitely worked. So, you know, the minute we left Dublin, our online sales in Dublin were 500% up year on year. So it definitely worked, but just that capital outlay into so much and, you know, have me and Ross, instead of concentrating on just online, we had online, three stores, sister brand. It just was, it, it just sort of really caught up with us, didn't it, Ross? Yeah. And, and again, at the time we were making a lot of, like, as a lot of people say, like ego moves, like we were doing a lot of things to promote the brand and getting the brand out there. We were really like, not wasting money, but reinvesting in the brand, but seriously heavily compared to like even what we do now. And, um, and the brand grew massively, but at the same time, the, the profit was nowhere near where it should have been. So I think it was a big realization for myself and Scott. And I think from then we've kind of been focused really on building the business as a, as a, you know, a long time, long-term business that, that generates really good profit each year. Whereas I think at the time we were just, so focused on like these big number turnovers and everything like <laughs> like you hear about these these um, big companies doing massive numbers. So I think we were more focused on that than we were actually the profit at the time. Just to go back on something you said, Scott, that you did say no to JD. I know you then put Salto into JD, which is a brand you then created. But to, to an outsider looking in, for you to say no to JD Sports, that almost seems like pretty hell it. A, that takes balls to say no to a giant like that. And it almost seems a little bit like maybe counterintuitive to somebody who doesn't have an understanding like maybe you had after doing selfie sticks. So why did you say no? So JD came in, right, and um, again, we look at other brands that were sort of in our space um, and they've gone into JD, they made a fortune out of JD for a couple of years and, you know, JD is amazing for building a brand up, but we just think that, you know, we wanted Kachok up to be around 15, 20 years and the brands that have, you know, I'm not going to name names, but the brands that have gone in there and, and then, you know, JD will, will do everything they can to drive as many sales as they can. And then as soon as the sales dip from that one brand, you know, it's a, a new brand will come in and then they'll have a great two or three years stint, four years stint if they're lucky. Um, but we just sort of really want, you know, we've built, we've spent so long building this brand and, We've had so much success online. We're not ready to sort of not throw it away, but you know, put it into a, 
a retailer where you're going to be in mass markets, you're going to be in stores in in, in places that you, you're never even going to visit, you've got no control over, uh, you'd be next to brands that, you know, you don't particularly see yourself as, as um, aligned with, wanting yeah. to be yeah, aligned with. And it's just, it's a difficult one. And listen, you know, JD, Footside, they've done amazing at building brands up, but for us, it was just, you know, we want 10, 15, 20 years plus out of Couture Club and it's it's not going to happen that for us if, if we go in, into a JD and instead of selling, you know, 100,000 units of clothing a year, we're selling 500,000 because, you know, as soon as it's, it becomes a mass market product, you know, the people that we want in our clothing are going to stop wearing it. Something to be kind of, I guess, to go a little bit back to your journey, something I wanted to ask you was, it's a bit kind of left field, but I think... Both of you have come from backgrounds in nightlife, candy pants, obviously nightlife brand. A lot of people often look at people who do like events and stuff and just think, just stupid lads who want to get pissed all the time, which don't get me wrong. There's enough of us who just do that, fair enough. But what is it, do you think, that has made so many people who have come through that nightlife model early on in life go on to do such big things like, you know, yourselves, like obviously Adam and Drew's tattoo. I mean, there's just so many people who've come through nightlife, then gone on business-wise to achieve quite a lot. Do you think there's a reason behind that? Yeah, definitely. I'd say a lot of it's kind of drives. You know, like nightlife, people what people don't understand is a club doesn't fill itself. People don't just all decide on one night to go to a club. It doesn't happen. There's a lot of hard work, thought, constant hustling, kind of like pestering people in a way every single day, kind of. You'll know exactly what it's like, especially when you're starting a new night. It's, you've kind of got to throw it in people's faces and constantly promote it. So everyone that's succeeded in nightlife is so driven it's um, when you have when you have a when you're when you're the promoter of a night it's your job to go around and be a social chameleon and make sure that a student's having a great night and then you know somebody one of your friends is having a great night but then the two guys that come in that are massive property investors that have got the vip table they're having a good night so you've got to you've got to learn very quickly in, in an easy environment because you're all having a drink but you've got to learn very quickly how to adapt and sort of be able to hold conversations with all different walks of people and i think if, if you can do that and you know you go into a meeting and you, you can adapt as soon as soon as you're in that room it just gives you so much more just just having that ability to sort of get onto somebody's wavelength you know hold your own and and, and sort of socialize in a way that you might not have done if you weren't sort of in front of 500 people every Thursday, you know, that wanted to speak to you and, and you wanted to speak to them because you wanted to make sure they had a good night and they come back the following week. It was just, it was just learning how to adapt very, very quickly. I mean, to go a little bit back to your journeys yourselves as well, obviously you got to a point where you've had this rapid growth online, Ross has been on TV and it's suddenly got gathered quite a lot of momentum. So then you've decided to start open a store and I think to a lot of people who look at things, they're constantly told the high street's dead. To do that to an outsider again might have been looked like, are they mad? So tell us what the thinking was to suddenly go and open stores. It was, it was, um, it was a mad, mad decision, mate. We we were <laughs> still only two years old, and um, there's an opportunity to do. It was around a hundred thousand pound billboard campaign just going into Q4. Um, and we'd done things like taxis before. We'd done the odd billboard here and there. And then this opportunity in Traffic Centre came up, and, and it was October to January, and it was a, a three-month pop-up. And 
you know, we thought, I think the, when we, when we did, once we did all the, you know, the um, design mock-ups, we realised that the cost would be similar to what we were going to do this national campaign with. And we thought, do you know what? We've got, we've got a chance here to do something completely different to what all the other bedroom brands have done. We're Manchester lads. Again, we can treat it like a nightclub. We can do a launch party. We can do um, different um, events every single Thursday. We put a barbers in there. Uh, we had a DJ in there. And it was just an opportunity that we thought, you know what, we've got nothing to lose here. We're going to, we're either going to, we had the capital to do one or the other. Um, and, we, and we just went with the store. And it, another thing that we, we did with the stores was, um, you know, everybody wanted this growing up, you know, going to school or going to high school, you know, if you had a, if you had a, a, a bag to take your peek in, it would be the Selfridges bag because it was the coolest thing in the world. And you'd have people going to Selfridges and buying a £10, um, you know, £10 pair of socks just to get just to get the yellow bag. So we sort of went, well, do you know what? We'll, we'll, do, we'll try and do something similar. We'll create this, you know, black matte black bag with a, a big red signature on it. And, and that can be the new Selfridges bag. And, you know, people will come to us and they'll buy it. And then for the next two or three weeks, they'll take the lunch to work in the same bag or they'll take the, the gym kit in the same bag. And, and it, it, we just sort of, there was a couple of things like, and again, going back to the DJ and the bar, there's a couple of things that we did differently than the other stores were doing. Um, again, learning from, from, from being nightclub promoters and, and everything else. It was, it sort of really took off from day dot. And I'll never forget the first sale that, and this is what, this is what a, a massive sort of retail store and a retail uh, shopping mall will do for you the first step the first sale me and ross were sat behind the till this middle-aged woman she couldn't have been um no younger than 40 she came in and she spent 300 pounds and i went can i just ask you have you heard about the brand before and she goes no i just walked past it could see that it was an atmosphere in there i've got a young lad and i thought i'd come in and, and, and buy something it was like wow you know we've got an opportunity here that people you know re- we can really you know what better billboard can you have than, than a shop in the traffic center Obviously, you have gone from kind of just the two of you to now having all these staff like in the warehouse, in the office, in the stores. What's that been like? And has that been like hard to kind of adjust? Well, it's, yeah, it's tough, mate, tough. We, like it, little things that you do. Like, so just before Christmas, we had a new starter and, and it worked two weeks solid on launching a mobile phone app for us pre Black Friday. And it was a new starter, and I just sent a harmless email to we have a, we have an office email group, and I sent a harmless email just saying, um, guys, can everyone just appreciate how well such and such has worked hard on this app, and you know he's only been with us for two weeks, what a phenomenal new member, and I just thought I was doing something so innocent, and you know just making somebody feel part of the team as quickly as I could, and recognising the, the hard work that he'd done, and it, all of a sudden the whole office is looking at me like well, you never sent an email about like that about me and I've been with you for two years. And it's like, you know, it's like, it's difficult in that sense because you do make mistakes harmlessly where you don't, you don't realise that you, you could potentially be upsetting people and, and, and things like that. But I, I, I think, you know, we're always going to be learning. There's always different, there's so many different personalities and, you know, me and Ross are in all the, the WhatsApp groups for the stores and there's so much drama that goes on in the stores with, you know, you can imagine you've got, 25 students working on a part-time basis for you and such and such has kissed such and such after a night out and me and Ross are in all the groups and it's just like you have to just you have to just sort of take yourself away from it a little bit sometimes and realise that you are the boss and you are the person that's supposed to set the example and and, and, and me and Ross are just two two young lads and we, we like to get involved with the banter and stuff like that as well so um, 
yeah, it's just it's just learning. It's just learning that you, you know you've got to act in a certain manner. I think a lot of things I've learned recently. It's like just just calming yourselves down and thinking about things a lot more before you kind of have answer like. I've just gone through life just being myself and kind of got where I am today from that. But then when you're a boss, you can't necessarily react towards a member of staff the same way you would if it was one of your mates or someone someone else in the in normal life. Say someone spoke to you a certain way, you kind of you've got to think about it and react in a way that, you know, a, a boss would react rather than necessarily me being me. I know you've kind of said that you're almost like learning as you go, but it kind of, I don't know if it ever sinks into you how amazing it actually is. You know, I remember being away in Dubai, coming back to Newcastle, where like at home where my mum lives, and walking through the Metro Centre and just seeing like a couture club store and thinking, bloody hell, like that, that's Ross and Scott, they've got a shop. Like, have you ever had any moments where you've just thought, bloody hell, look how far we've come? There's definitely days when it gets us like, We'll never forget when we opened up the London store and um, yeah, it was just so stressful because it was our biggest, you know, London was a big, big move for us and, you know, you're talking about a percentage of turnover deals in the Chaffer Centre to then, you know, you have to commit to a certain amount of rent and it's just a complete risk and, and we want it to be right and so we opened up the London store and the night before, you know, if you'd have, if you'd have been in the store at 8 o'clock the night before, you'd have thought there's absolute no chance these guys are open up before Monday and it was a Thursday. And, you know, we, we had we had a handyman that's, you know, worked right through with us and I was cleaning the toilets till two o'clock in the morning and then and then, you know, the store opened at ten o'clock the next day and we did the, the first the first people that came in were these uh, this young couple from, from Birmingham and they come in and they spent a fortune. I think me and Ross just went into the back and just hugged each other and cried for a few minutes because it was just it was this massive relief at then realisation of, you know, we just opened a store in London in the biggest shopping centre in London. And it was like, wow, it was just a wow moment. But they don't come around too often because like Ross says, you, you, you're working so far ahead. And it, it's difficult to, to sort of, you know, stop and, and look at where you are because I feel like that's when you'll you'll start taking things for granted. What's the goal for the both of you now? Like, What's the aim to be, you know, in maybe 10 years' time? I, th- I think for us, is um, obviously initially where we're at now, the UK is obviously growing massively, but we've, all, we've seen a lot of a pickup internationally now so for us it's really kind of replicating what we've built so far in the UK but globally and really just turn it into a, what I'd class as a, a globally well-known brand rather than a kind of well-known brand in the UK that sells globally. I think a dream for us in, in the next few years we'd like to take a, a full summer and, and go and spend it over in LA and have a little pop-up store and and you know just test, test the market over there because our products you know all the all the all the guys that you know, go to LA on holidays and stuff like that. It's it's, it's very much an American style product, um, and without any marketing spend, like Ross said, we've we've seen a massive pickup over there. So I think that, that a short term goal, you know, in the next couple of years, would definitely to be go over there and and run a store for a couple of months. Um, but like, it, it's so hard, mate, because you know, if you'd asked me last year what the goal was, then you sort of achieve that goal and then the next, you, you, it's hard to set a 10-year goal because the business is so fast-paced. You sort of, you set a, you set a 12-month goal and, and achieve it and then realise that you could be doing so much more in that 10-year time. So for us, it's sort of, we work a lot more to short-term goals, don't we, Ross? And then yeah. see where that takes us. You've spoken like a lot about, you know, longevity and trying to make the brand last. One thing I was interested at, especially with you, Scott, since you've had your little boy, has that made much of a difference to you and how you see the business? 
Yeah, I think my little boy, and I think COVID helped me a lot with that because, you know, me and Ross sort of work probably six, minimum six days a week, maybe maybe seven. You're doing things that you probably don't need to do, like going to the stores after work to make sure everything's set out when, you, you know, you've got a team of 25 that are more than capable of doing it. You know, I, I did suffer for the first 12 months with my little lad and, you know, I didn't really have that bond that I've got with him now. And, you know, life does change and it's not all all about work and chasing money all the time. But, you know, especially for us now that we've built a team, we've got, a, you know, a million pound a year salaries that we, there's no reason for us really to sort of not take them two days off and spend time with family. And, you know, you can get so involved with, with, with business and work and opportunities, but number one's always got to be family, hasn't it? So I know we've said this to you before, if you could make a phone call to your past selves, so Ross, you could ring yourself now, but ring the person who was selling the t-shirts from their bedroom, and Scott, maybe just when you'd kind of come on board with Ross, what do you think you'd say to yourselves now, based on what you know? Get a fucking accountant quick. (laughs) (laughs) I I was just about to say something along the same lines. It was kind of like, listen, I, I pride myself that, well, that we we both still dreamers. Like if someone says, "Can you do that?" I'll say, "Yeah," and I'll figure out how to do it after. But I think along the way, there's been times when say we've kind of possibly ran before we could have walked along the way. So it's probably just having transparency on your business, actually being able to look at all different departments of it and understand the financial side of everything and what each different thing does and how much it's returning whereas before we did a lot of trials because we didn't know we just oh we'll do a billboard kind of campaign and and like you couldn't really gauge your ROI on it whereas now every single thing that we look at we can see the return on it so it's it's a tough one because I I, kind of like that we've made all the mistakes that we have because I feel like that's made us a lot better than than we would have been but then at the same time this will probably skip making all the mistakes and and probably be a lot more beneficial now. So yeah, I'd probably along them lines. It'd be slow down, wouldn't it? You just say Scott yeah. Ross, slow down, and you know, get make sure that you you report it on a monthly basis, weekly basis, rather than you know running a whole year and then looking at the counts at the end of the year and sat down with your account and go, what? Really? Do you know what I mean? So I think for us, it was if we could not regret, but if we could if we could have slowed down one year and sort of just really stabilised then um, you know luckily we, we, we managed to get out of that situation and, and still standing on our feet now so you know it's not really a regret but I think just slowing slowing down and making sure that you know you're doing things for the right reasons not just because you want to say that you've got three stores and 90 staff it's more because well what's the point of having three stores if, 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 if um, you know we can't afford to keep running them so I think for us it was just It'd just be slow down, make sure that you're making the moves for the right reasons for the business rather than the right reasons for for your ego, really. Do you know what? The nicest thing I can probably say to you both is, obviously we have so many different people on this podcast, kind of, a lot of people who, you know, come from similar backgrounds that we have, they know who you are. And they always ask, you know, who else have you had on? Like, who have you been speaking to? And the number of people who are just collectively so proud of what you've done and so happy for what you've achieved... It's mind-blowing, and I think that's probably the nicest thing I could say to you, that so many people are so happy for you because they know how hard you've worked and they know that if anybody deserves to do well, it's you too. No, I really appreciate that, mate. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'll, nice. I'll send you that nice 20 quid in the post. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get to a finale somehow. <laughs> 
It really is hard to wish nothing but the best for those boys who I'm sure we're all going to hear a lot more about over the next few years. We'll be back next week with another guest, but if you're searching for your daily dose of candy pants before then, don't panic. You can still tune into Candy Pants Radio, which gives you a full hour of the latest music every single Thursday. To listen, simply search Candy Pants Radio wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. But from me, as always, a very big thank you for listening, and we'll see you all very soon. <laughs>